hey everybody! Hey, I love, love, love that song. Because that is what Christmas is all about. Are you ready for Christmas this year? Yeah, me too. And today we're gonna kick off our new 2020 Christmas series. And Pastor Omar has asked me to teach about that from Matthew chapter two. Very familiar Christmas story. So if you have your Bibles, wherever you are with us in person, or if you're joining us online, Matthew chapter two, and I wanna begin by reading from the Christmas story. It's a familiar story, but my prayer is that you're gonna learn some things today that are going to encourage you in a brand new way. So you listen as I read the story. The Bible says in Matthew chapter two, verse one, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, watch this, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his what? His what? Yeah, his, everybody say star. Everybody say on star. Yeah, we saw his star, his on star, and we have come to worship him. Well, you can grab a seat wherever you are, and I want to set things up today by sharing this with you. Back in the year 2001, I had my very first experience with a GPS device. And, and we actually recorded my experience, which I'll show you shortly. But folks, to say that I was blown away back then by GPS technology, to say that I was fascinated by what a GPS device could do is an understatement. Now, mind you, many of us, if not most of us, know what GPS stands for. It's an acronym, and it stands for Global Positioning Systems. And here's why. It's because GPS devices leverage a system of satellites that are positioned in space to ascertain our position, to ascertain our location here on the Earth. And from there, they use triangular mathematics to guide us to where we're seeking to go, to show us the way to what we're seeking to find. Now, would you just stay with me? Because that first experience of mine with the GPS was in a GMC vehicle, specifically a Hummer. How many of you remember those cars? Yeah, and back in the day, and even to this day, a lot of GMC cars came with an onboard GPS. And check it out, that GPS system was always called OnStar. And it was called OnStar because the GPS in the Hummer was linked to a star-like satellite that would triangulate where you are and then guide you verbally to where you were seeking to go. And folks, here's what I love about OnStar. If you are lost and don't know the way to what you're seeking to find, OnStar will actually guide you there. Or, or if you're on the way somewhere that you're seeking to find and you start to question 
Am I really on the right way here? You start to doubt that you're really on the, on the right way. OnStar will not only guide you in the way, but it will assure you that you're going the right way. It will assure you that you're on the right path. So OnStar would take away all of the confusion. It takes away all of the doubt and it guides you street by street and turn by turn to where you're seeking to go. And man, oh man, did I ever experience that that first time, that first night. In fact, I want you to slip into the scene because it was Christmas time. It was around a Christmas night and I was driving a buddy's Hummer and it had that OnStar in it. And with me in the car was Hector Huyo from Christ Fellowship and Rick Burt. And we were here in Palmetto Bay and we were seeking to find a nighttime nativity scene that was somewhere in Homestead. Now, mind you, we were far away from that live nativity scene, and we didn't know the way to where that live nativity scene was, but we input on OnStar where we were seeking to go, and it guided us right to that place where the birth of Jesus was being reenacted. Here it is from 2001. I think it's that far back. Take a look. Start out going east on Frontage Road. Well, everybody, here we are. OnStar brought us right to what we were seeking, right to this live nativity scene. And Hector, Rick, and myself, we're going to go check it out. So come on with us. Folks, let me turn a corner and bring that all over to this Christmas message. Because of what an image of how Jesus guides all of those who seek him to himself. And by that, I mean just like OnStar guided us to that live nativity scene where the birth of Christ was being reenacted. And even though we were far away from that scene, and even though we didn't know the way, it guided us right there. Folks, just like that, and this is my proposition, Christ Jesus will guide all who seek to find him. Amen? Christ Jesus will guide all people who seek to find him. He will guide them to himself. In fact, if you're listening to this and you would say, Rick, I am far away from God. I am lost, and I really don't know the way to, to, to Christ. Listen, if you will seek him, I promise you, he will guide you right to himself. Or, or if you're listening to this, and you would think, Rick, you know, I'm on the way. I'm a believer. I've been following. But I got to tell you, I have my doubts about Jesus. I sometimes question, am I really on the right way? Is he really the true way? Listen, not only will Jesus guide you to himself, but as you follow him, he will assure you along the way, just like OnStar, that you are indeed on the right path to eternal life. Now, you might be saying, 
Well, Rick, how, how does Jesus do that? How does he guide those who seek him to himself? And how does he assure us who are following that we're really on the right path? How does he do that? Well, that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to find out as we unpack this story from Matthew chapter 2. I want to go ahead and tip my hand a little bit. He still uses the stars to guide us to himself. Now, I want to give you two thoughts about those who seek to find Christ. If you have your listening guide, how many of you have your listening guide inside our campuses? Wave those. Yes, some of you have them on the app at home. I want to give you two thoughts. And by the way, this is going to come across a lot of thinking, okay? So you got to lean into this and think this through with me. So you ready? Here we go. Two thoughts about those who seek Christ. Number one, if you're filling in the blanks, those who seek Christ will find him. Those who seek Christ will find him. Seek and you will find, Jesus said. Now with that in mind, let's pick up the story beginning in verse one. You follow with your eyes as I read it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the days of King Herod, watch this, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they ask, where? Everybody say where. <laughs> yeah, where is, where is who? The one. Everybody say the one. Yeah, these magi, whatever a magi is, and wherever they came from, they came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem, and they were seeking the one. Everybody heads up. Because that phrase, the one, was code for the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ, the anointed one. And their question was the question that a lot of people in our world have. Where is he? How can I find the true Messiah? How can I get close to Jesus? Put another way, listen, they were pining to find him. How many of you remember that old Christmas hymn? Long lay the world in sin and error. Yeah, pining. What's, you say meaning what? What does pining mean? It means waiting. It means longing for. In other words, there's something in us. It was in these, these men who were seeking him. It's in you, it's in me. There's something in us that longs to be close to God, that longs to come near to Christ. It's in you and it's, and it's in me. And who knows, maybe that's where you are. You know, you may be listening to this and you might say, you know, Rick, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christ follower. But there's something about Christmas time that causes me to yearn for God, that makes me long to be close to Christ, to know him. Listen, if that's where you are, you're in great company because that's exactly where these magi were on that Christmas night. In fact, listen to verse one again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, what? Came to Jerusalem. Everybody heads up, because that raises a question. What was a Magi? The text doesn't explain it. What was a Magi, and where did these Magi come from? We need to know that. Who are they for this to make sense? Well, put your thinking caps on, because to begin with, that word magi is actually a Babylonian term. 
And it referred to, let's bring this up, it referred to Babylonian wise men, men who had high IQs, and they were often studiers of the stars. They were astrologers. They studied the movement of the stars. But these were men with very high IQs. They were from Babylon. They were Babylonian. And because they were so smart, they would be drafted to serve kings like King Nebuchadnezzar to give him advice, to help him think through very important matters that needed a high IQ. By the way, Babylon was east of Jerusalem. And so these magi come from Babylon, from the east, and they come to Jerusalem. And listen, they are trying to find the Messiah, the Christ. But folks, that raises another question. How did these Babylonian magi, how did they know anything about a Messiah? I mean, they weren't Jewish. They weren't Christian. So where did they get that information? Who told them there was a Messiah that was coming? Who told them that? One person. And his name was Daniel. Daniel. So let's grab a handful of pages in your Bible and go all the way back to the Old Testament to the book of Daniel. We're going 500 years before the birth of Christ. And before I t- we read what happens in Daniel, I'll tell you, tell you where Daniel was. Daniel, at, at, in Daniel chapter one, Daniel's living in Jerusalem. And he's about 14 years old. He's a young boy, very bright. With that in mind, watch what happens in Daniel chapter one. Daniel's recording this under the inspiration of God. The Bible says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, we're in Jerusalem, this is 500 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In other words, he conquered Jerusalem. Now watch what he does after he conquers Jerusalem. Verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's servants some Israelites. In other words, I want you to bring some Israelites over to Babylon. Let's bring up the Babylonian sign there if we can. To bring them over to Babylon. Now, well, who does he want? Verse 4. He wanted young men. Talk about child trafficking. He wanted young men, watch this, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Translation, he wanted the smart kids. He wanted the kids with the four-digit standard deviation IQ. Why? Because he wanted to make them magi. He wanted to to tap into these kids' brains and use them in his service. So he wasn't going to waste them. He said, bring me the smart ones. Bring me the high IQs. And who were some of the high IQs that got brought over, young men? Verse 6. Among those who were chosen were, who's the first one? Daniel. Who else? Shadrach. Who else? And who else? Abednego. Listen to verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and Daniel could understand what? Uh Uh-oh. Okay, well, let me read it for you. Here's what it says. 
Daniel, listen to this. Let me make sure you get it. Daniel could understand visions and dreams. Translation, Daniel was a prophet. Daniel was receiving direct revelation from God Almighty. Tell you what, hold that thought. Because I want you to watch who Daniel becomes friends with when he gets to Babylon. He doesn't like Babylon, but he's taken there and he makes some friends. Here they are, chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king of Babylon, had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. This guy has a bad dream. Verse 2. So the king summoned the, what's the next word? Yeah, the magi. What do magis do? Astrologers. And folks, here's what you need, to, you need to know. Daniel became close to these magi in Babylon because he had gotten drafted to be a, a magi himself. In fact, Daniel became legendary with the magi because he saved their lives. You remember what happened? Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream, but he couldn't remember what the dream was. So he summoned all of his magi and he said, if you're so smart, you tell me what I dreamed. They said, we can't tell you what you dreamed. You tell us what you dreamed and we'll interpret it, but we can't tell you what you dreamed. He said, you tell me what I dreamed or I'm going to have all of you put to death. And so they went to Daniel and they said, Daniel, you got to talk to your God or we're going to all be wiped out. And so Daniel said, give me time with God. And he prayed. And God revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream in explicit detail. And it was a bad dream. And Daniel went to King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, I got bad news for you. Here's what the dream was. And it was bad for Nebuchadnezzar. He said, yeah, that's what I dreamed. And so all of the magi were spared they got to, leave, to live. And Daniel, because he was so in touch with God, was elevated to this very high position in Babylon, even though he was Jewish. And he became a hero of all the Magi. But folks, here's what I want you to get. While Daniel was in, in Babylon, he wrote the book of Daniel. In fact, most, much of it's written in Aramaic, not Hebrew, because he was in, in, in that land. And here's what Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel foretold the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Christ. Listen to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Daniel says, know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one comes. Daniel prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And these magi back in Babylon who were his friends knew about the coming of the Messiah because they read Daniel chapter 9. And they passed that prophecy down from one generation of magi to the next generation of magi to the next generation of magi until it was time for the Messiah to come. And these, that generation of, Messiah, of magi began making their way toward Jerusalem. And folks, here's what we discover. Write this down as A. God uses the stars to guide us to himself. Listen to verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the days of King Herod, magi from the east, from Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one, the Mashiach? We saw his what? Yeah, his star, and, and it rose. And we have come to worship him. Now, folks, I love that. 
because these, these magi were still doing what their ancestor magi did. They were studying the stars. And don't you love God? Would it be just like God to meet them where they were? He gave them an on star to guide them right to where Jesus was born. Everybody heads up, especially if you happen to be an atheist and you don't believe there's a God. God still uses the stars to guide us to him and to prove to us that he exists. In fact, listen to Psalm 19, verse one. The Bible says the heavens, that's Shabbayim in the Hebrew. It means the galactic heavens, the stars. Declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You say, meaning what? Meaning when we go outside at night and look up at the stars, they talk to us. They're telling us something. And listen, the stronger our telescopes get, the louder they scream to us about God. Think about it. Yeah, our planet exists in the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy, as you know, is a, is a swirl of stars, and it contains over 100 billion stars. It's, it's 100,000 light years in diameter as you cross it. You say, well, how many galaxies are there like our Milky Way? Just what we can see is 100 billion other galaxies all containing over 100 billion stars so that the number of stars that we can postulate is 100 billion times 100 billion or 10 septillion stars. Think about this. The known universe, just what we can see with our powerful telescopes, it's 14 billion light years in both directions or 28 billion light years in diameter. That means traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, 669 million miles every, every hour. If you could travel that fast, it'd take you 28 billion years to cross the universe. And as we look out with our telescopes, there's no thinning out. The truth is, folks, the universe is infinite. It goes on forever because it was made by an infinite God. And the Bible says, day after day, they pour forth speech. And night after night, they reveal knowledge. Take a look.
what a God we serve. Amen. And all of that, listen, is designed to guide us to God. And here's the message. The same infinite God who engineered and designed this infinite universe is the same infinite God who designed and engineered you. And he loves you. And he wants to guide you to himself. And he wants to give you everlasting life. And he wants to bring you into his care and into his love. Tell you what, hold that thought. Back to the Magi. Because God used the stars to guide them to him. But how did they know when it was time to go to Jerusalem? How did they know when it was time? Well, write this down as B. God uses the stars to guide us to himself. Write this down as B. God uses the prophecies to guide us to Christ. You know this. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, before he was born, even thousands of years, God gave these verbal predictive prophecies that told us what the Messiah would be like so that we would know the true Messiah. And Daniel gave us one of the most important ones. Here it is again, Daniel 9, 25. Listen to it. This is amazing. Daniel says, verse 25, know and understand this. Everybody say, know and understand. Everybody say, know and understand. Yeah, that's like saying, hey, if you've missed everything I said, don't miss this. God is saying to all of us, know and understand this. What do we need to understand? That from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah, the prince comes. Let's stop right there. Because you realize what Daniel's prophecy is about to do. Daniel is standing back here in 500 BC and he's about to tell us the exact day that the Messiah would come as the prince. Not as the baby, not in, Beth, not in Bethlehem, but as the prince, as the official Messiah. And here's how he reveals the time. He begins with an exact date. Now watch what he says here. No one understand this. From the time, he's going to mark a time, the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now stop right there because there's the start time of this prophecy. And what Daniel is saying is he's saying the start time is the time when the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Folks, that day is marked in history. That day is March the 14th. 445 BC. That's marked in your history books. That's the day that Artaxerxes gave the decree to restore and re rebuild Jerusalem. So Daniel marks that as a beginning point. Now watch what he says in verse 25 again. Know therefore and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, March 14, 445 BC, until the anointed one, the prince, comes. Stop again. Because folks, this is staggering. Because Daniel is 500 years back, and he picks a day slightly ahead of his future, March 14, 445 B.C., and he's about to tell us the exact day when the Messiah, the anointed one, will come. So let's do the math. Watch what he tells us. I'm going to lay that down right there, March 14, 445 B.C. Watch this. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, March 14, 445 BC, until the anointed one, the prince, comes, there will be 69 sevens. Now, we gotta do a little math here. 
God's about to reveal something, but he says, you got to know and understand. you got to put your thinking caps on. Now stop there. Think, think about this. Because 69 sevens, by the way, the word sevens, Shabbayim in the, in the Hebrew, Shabbayim in the Hebrew, it means seven-year periods. So 69 seven-year periods or 69 times seven years is 483 years. In days, when you add the leap years and the prophetic times, that turns out to be 173,880 days. So Daniel says, if you start on March 14th, 445 BC, go 483 years into the future from that day, 173,880 days, he says that'll be the day the Messiah will come officially as the prince. Well, folks, if you start on March 14th, 445 BC, go 483 years into the future, 173,880 days, you come to the exact date of April the 6th, 32 AD. You say, what day was that? That was the day that Jesus mounted the donkey and rode into Jerusalem and officially declared himself to be the Messiah. You remember as he rode in, the people said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as Jesus rode in, he said, some of you don't know what day it is. What day is it? It's 173,880th day of Daniel. Jesus perfectly intersected with that prophecy, just like the Bible said he would. Yeah, and so these magi living over here in Babylon, they know the time. They're, they've got this, this legend that they were excited about it. But God didn't just want them there for, for the time when he came into Jerusalem on the donkey. He wanted them to be there when the Messiah was born. And so watch what happens. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi came to Jerusalem. Why? Because the prophecy was telling that that's when he's going to come as the king. But God wanted them to be there when the king was born. And so this prophecy guided them. They knew the Messiah was coming, and they knew when he was coming as the Messiah. And folks, here's what I want you to understand. Prophecies not only guided them, but prophecies guide us today. In fact, I want you to write this down as, as one Here's how prophecies guide us. Write this down as little number one. Prophecies guide us to confidence. You see, I don't, I don't have to tell you there's a lot of religions out there, aren't there? And there's a lot of would-be saviors and a lot of would-be messiahs and a lot of would-be Christ. So how do you know which one's the true messiah? Well, here's one way you know it. Let me find my date. Here it is. April 6, 32 AD. Listen to this. God said the true Messiah would officially declare himself April the 6th, 32 AD. Any would-be Messiah who wasn't alive on April the 6th, 32 AD, you're out. But that's just one prophecy. There's dozens of others. And write this down as, as B, as ours little number two. The prophecies guide us like bread comes. In other words, God says, you want to follow the true Messiah? Here's what you need to know. He'll come April the 6th, 32 AD. And then another prophecy, Zechariah said, when he comes, he'll come riding on the back of a donkey. So any Messiah who wasn't around on April the 6th, 32 AD, and who didn't ride in Jerusalem on the back of a donkey is disqualified. God said, not only that, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Any would-be Messiah, not around April 6th, 32 AD, who didn't ride in Jerusalem on a donkey, and who wasn't born in Bethlehem's disqualified. 
Isaiah the prophet said, when he is born, he'll be born of a virgin. Any prophet or Messiah who wasn't around April 632 AD, who didn't ride in Jerusalem on a donkey, who wasn't born of a virgin, and, 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 then, and then not only that, um, Isaiah said he would be born of the lineage of David and Abraham. That's why when you open the book of Matthew, it begins to trace that lineage. And he would be Messiah who, what, who can't trace his lineage back through David and Abraham's disqualified. The prophet said when he comes, he'll die a death in which his hands will be pierced and his feet would be pierced. Vivid description of death by crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus doesn't just want you to know this is the way. He wants you to know with the breadcrumbs of the prophecies, you're on the right way. It's like, when, it's like when your GPS says you're still on the, on the right way and the fastest way, right? It's to guide us so that we find him. Those who seek him will find it. Write this down as number two. I got to hustle. Those who find him, those who find Christ will worship him. Amen? Those who find him will worship him. Listen to verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced ex- with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and did what? They worshiped him. I love that. Their exceedingly great joy overflowed with worship. That's what worship is. Worship is when you become so overjoyed that you found Jesus that you just worship him. Mind you, nobody had to coach them. Nobody had to have a pep rally, did they? It was intuitive. And how did they worship him? How did they express that worship? Listen to verse 11. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. And how did they do that? And when they had opened their treasures, they gave gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How did they worship? They gave to him. Nobody had to coax him. Nobody had to preach a message on giving. You know why? It was intuitive. They wanted to give. They just had to give. It was in them, and it just overflowed. And the Bible says they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were expensive gifts. Their worship matched their worthship. You want to know what you have worth in, what you value? Look at what you give to. You value your home, you give to it, right? You value your children, you put money into it. You value a hobby, you put money. Those who value Jesus can't help it. They give. We don't give because we have to. We give because we want to. In fact, if you ever give because you have to, don't. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Now, folks, I want, to, I want to give us a takeaway here on this. I think this is important at this Christmas time because we're all at different levels of how we give to to God, aren't we? How we express our worship to Jesus. But wherever you are, here's my challenge. I want to encourage you to go to the next level. So for some of you, the next level is you need to just become a first-time giver, right? You know what? You've never really given anything. Well, this Christmas season, I want to challenge you, just start giving something. No matter how small, just give because you'll be amazed at how joyful it'll make you when you give to God. Then secondly, become, at uh, the next level, become a, a consistent giver. 
In other words, start giving to God. Every time you get paid, every time you get a check, God gives you what you have, give back to him. Just start giving consistently every week, every month. And then if you're there, the next level is become a priority giver. What's a priority giver? That is where when you receive your money from God, when you're paid, you give to God before you give to anybody else. God becomes the priority because you love him so much. And then the next level is become a sacrificial giver. In other words, give to him because you love him so much to the point that it's, it's a sacrifice. David said, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Let it cost you. Give and let it cost you and do that with joy, knowing that he'll take care of you. And then the fifth level, become an eternal giver. Give because you want to invest in the eternal souls of other people. You want to reach them for Christ. So here's the takeaway for all of us. If you're listening to this and you feel like you're far away from Jesus and you feel like you really don't know the way, Jesus said, knock and it will be open to you. Seek and you will what? You will find. If you'll just seek him and follow him, he says, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you'll just call on him as your savior this Christmas season, just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you as my savior. I know now that you're the true Messiah. And God, I know it with great confidence. You've given me the light and I want to receive it. He'll give you eternal life if you'll do that today. And then for those of us who are following him, let's have that joy because we know those prophetic breadcrumbs that we're on the right way. And this Christmas season, let's begin to give. Let's raise our level sacrificially for all of us. Amen, God's people. Amen. Well, let me pray for you. I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come now. And uh, let me pray for us, pray for you this Christmas season. Would you join me? Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for the clarity, God. Lord, you don't leave us guessing. Lord, we're not lost. We're not confused. You show us the way like an on-star satellite. You lit the way for those magi and you light the way for us. God, we can follow you with confidence. Father, I pray for that one who is far away from you this Christmas season. I pray that this might be the day that they call on you as Savior. And Lord, for that Christian who may have had doubts, I pray that those doubts have been erased, that they know this is the true God and the true Savior without question. And then, Father, Christmas is a time of giving. May we give first and foremost to you, not only this Christmas, but throughout the year. We pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask all of our campus pastors to come now. I love you, Christ Fellowship. God bless you.